Hey guys, welcome back to the Locked In with Ian Bick podcast, where you can listen and watch the full episodes on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. On today's episode, I have Miss T, also known as the Harlem heroine, who has a hit Netflix documentary made about her life, on to talk about her story of growing up in Harlem, the drug trade she got into and was exposed to at a very early age, and the defining moments that got her to get out of the drug game. Thank you guys so much for all the love and the support week after week. We have been consistently in the top 200 podcasts for society and culture in the world. It's super exciting, and we would not be here without you guys today. Make sure you guys leave us a like, a comment, a a share, or if you're listening to us on our audio streaming platforms, please leave us a review. That's all I got for you guys. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with Miss T. Miss T, welcome to Locked In. You're our second person that's had a Netflix documentary made about them. We had AJ Galante from the Danbury Trashers a few episodes back, um, and your team sent you your whole story, I think like a month ago, and I'm like, wow, we need her on the show. So, so happy you made the drive here today. Um, it's great to see you. I love the necklace that says uh, Miss T. Yeah. <laughs> Question, have people called you Miss T your entire life? Did you get that since childhood? My dad named me Miss T. Is that your legal name? Or? No. Okay. No. All right. So it, you just went with Miss T. Yeah, that's my right. And then I, when I started writing, I started writing under Miss T. Okay. But my dad always called me Miss T. Oh, my name is Tanya. Tanya, okay. For the most part, they'll call me Tanya or T, yeah. Now, was it weird being called like Miss early on? For my dad? No, just from other people. Was that your nickname? No, people recently started calling me Miss T because that's what I started writing under. Okay. And people who always called me Tanya, they now call me Miss T. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's a great nickname. Yeah. I mean, you've gotten multiple nicknames in your life too, which we'll get into. Yeah. Um, So your early childhood, where where are you from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Harlem. What's that like? My, yeah. It was fun. Harlem was fun. You know, it was very community-oriented, community, community oriented, you know, family-oriented. So it was good. I had a good childhood uh, raised by both of my parents. Um, a strict household because my dad was Jamaican. My mom wasn't so strict. You know, she's a Southern belle. But I grew up with good morals and ethics, you know, respect, um, education, you know, my father didn't play when it came to that. So yeah, it was pretty cool. What did your parents do for work? My mom was a nurse and my dad, he did a lot of business back in Jamaica. Um, he was one of the biggest, um, poultry distributors to like hotels and restaurants. He had a chicken farm. A chicken farm? Yeah, so oh. he made a Lots of money. I didn't really know a lot about it until after his death when my uncle would just tell me stories and stuff, but I knew he would do that. He was a record producer. <laughs> he was a hustler. He would, once I saw the barrels in the house, I'm like, oh, daddy about to go back to Jamaica. And he would just fill it with all kind of stuff, clothes, jewelry, and go down there and sell it. He had a home down there, so yeah. Do you think you got that hustler mentality that would develop later on from your dad? I started recently to be like, okay, yeah, yep. You really start yeah, thinking about yeah. it. Isn't it crazy Like uh-huh. how life goes on? You think and you put the dots together and you're like, oh, well, that makes sense. I got it from that person. Yes. And did yes. you have siblings? Yeah, I have two sisters. I'm the middle child. What's that like being the middle child growing up? 
it, it, I guess it's true when they say the middle one is always like the crazy one or the wild one. So yeah, because I'm the one always, you know, in trouble. But um, yeah, it was cool. It was cool. And yeah. like financially, how are you guys growing up? I know you said your dad was making money. Did you guys have nice things? Yeah, I always had nice things. Never had hand-me-downs. You know, if you ask me, I'll be like, we was good, middle class. My mother would be like, no, we was poor. <laughs> <laughs> She's humble. <laughs> right. But we good. Food on the table all the time. Like people came to my house to eat, you know, or friends would come to my house and stay. So we were good. Yeah, how did that compare your status to your friends that you were hanging out with? Um, most of my friends was doing pretty good, okay, as far as family. Um, not too many had two-parent households, but they did have parents that worked and made a good living. So, you know, they weren't um, destitute or without, you know, so. How do you think your friends would describe you back then if, if they were here right now and I asked them? Um. They would, like, one of my friends, she was like, well, you know, even though, you know, Tanya had both her parents, but Tanya did what she wanted. Tanya had everything she needed. Tanya always had money. So, yeah. <laughs> it's it's so interesting, like, to hear as a viewer how, like, you grew up well and it, you just, like, you get into a whole business that you really never needed to get into if you, it, with having this. Did you have, like, aspirations as a kid? Like, did you want to grow up and be something at all? Were you thinking about that? Not. When I was, well, as a teenager, I wanted to be a nurse. I guess it's in my blood because my mom is a caretaker. She loves to help people, and I wanted that too. So, you know, once I graduated high school, I did get into pre-nursing, but, you know, life happened. But um, early on, I just had a love for dressing. So in order to dress nice and have nice things, you got to have a lot of money. <laughs> oh, yeah, that so, makes sense. Um, like, you know, I, I had an aunt, my favorite aunt. She was beautiful. Um, she worked in the bars, and she dressed nice. So in junior high school, I couldn't fit her pants, but I would wear her little polyester or silk shirts with whatever pants I had to school. I dressed differently. And that's another thing people say. They'll say, yeah, T dressed different, like black. Like the guys would be like, yeah, black was, um, I liked her cause like black ain't wear sneakers. She wore shoes and silk suits. So I was a little different. And your parents were just okay with buying you that stuff? Yeah. Well, I I would get the money and I'd buy my own stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was wearing Ellen Tracy and Adrian Vitadini early on. Yeah. yeah. What's like middle school like and, and early high school like for you? Is it, is it pretty normal? What are you doing? Yeah, pretty normal. Um, are you like the nerd or are you the, nah, what? Yeah, one of the cool kids. You were the cool kids. Okay. <laughs> you know, I had my little, you know, my little crew. We was the crew that dressed nice and, you know, the guys liked and stuff like that. You were know? you mean though or were you nice? <sighs> like if, if we brought some kids here today, like other girls, would they have described you as like a bully? No, I wasn't a bully. Okay. No, no, I was cool. I was cool. I was a cool kid. <laughs> That's yeah. good. Yeah. And did you guys have like activities? Do you play sports, anything? Let me jump double dutch. <laughs> really? I've never heard someone say that before. I never played ball or anything. I was never like a tomboy or nothing like that. You know, if I did do anything in school, it was double dutch. Okay. But other than that, we was, hmm, we liked to dress. We taught each other how to drive early. So if we met a guy with a car, he couldn't tell us no because we already knew how to drive. So that's what we did. Like, <laughs> What time period did you grow up? 80s 80s yeah. is harlem a dangerous spot during that time like what's the environment like it's crazy because 
even though a lot was going on, I would say now is worse than it was then. Even though people were getting killed and things were happening, it just didn't, it wasn't reckless. It didn't seem reckless. It was like, oh, somebody got hurt probably because they did something to this particular person okay, or something like that. But, you know, back then, like I said, to me, the streets were fun. We had a good time. We partied. Yeah. And were you using drugs at all in high school or alcohol, anything like never. that? Never. Never. So you always stayed clean. Yeah. Like now I drink casually and, you know, we drink back then, but drugs, no. It, it's always interesting to see how like some people that grow up to become drug dealers are the users and some are just so business minded. Uh, like the brothers who we were talking about that I interviewed Lyle and Lonnie, they never yeah. touched drugs. They were yeah. always straight hustlers, came from a good family, very similar backgrounds. And then somewhere along the lines, life brings them in a different direction. Yeah, now I like even today, I can't even smoke weed. Like, <laughs> I fainted at my family reunion like two years ago. It was From weed? Yeah, I did the pen. I won't do the pen. I'm a lightweight. So when I do some edibles, my cousin who's here today, we did edibles <laughs> one time. It was my third interview doing the podcast early on. We did edibles the night before. I felt so hungover, and this is from weed. It was so bad. Yeah. I was like drowsy. I couldn't do it. Yeah, I can't do that. Like, mm -mm. So I kind of just stay away from it. I, my body just can't tolerate it because I'm not a smoker. So yeah. Was there anything like traumatic that happened to you in in high school at all? High school? No. It was later on. You know, me being in the streets where things took a turn. All right. So let's yeah. let's get into that. You yeah. you do go to college? Yes. So where does it turn? Where does it start to turn then? Because you had a plan. You're going to college. You're becoming. Uh, you're you're going to school to become the nurse. So yeah, I met this guy. <laughs> oh, it always starts with a guy or a woman. <laughs> relationships. <laughs> yeah, I met this guy who was in the street, and he had lots of money, and um, he was even giving me money to pay pay my school tuition, and. Um, Oh, back then, I don't know, maybe I thought I was rich and I didn't need school or something like that. I was like, yeah, this is it. <laughs> so, you know, I met him, um, moved in with him. I acquired certain things when I got with him, like places to stay, cars, and money. So, yeah, and that's when I kind of like quit school. I ended up getting pregnant. And how old are you when this all happened? 21. You're 21. Yeah. Okay. And did you know what he did for work when you when you got involved? Oh yeah, because I had already gotten to the life when I was like sixteen. I had started selling dust when I was like sixteen, seventeen years old. You were selling dust at sixteen or seventeen. Yeah. How does that even happen? Because I had an uncle that was selling dust. Um, it was a street, a particular street in Harlem, Hunt Twenty Third and Seventh, and it was like so crowded with just people doing selling everything. And it's like, damn, I want to do that. So I was like, yo, you know, let me get some of that. So he gave me some bundles. It was called Dynamite. And I went to 123rd and sold it. And I was like, okay, I like this. It was, I don't know, I guess it was just something, wanting to be a part of something. And then it's like, okay, having more money. So I got a couple of dollars from that. And I was like, okay. And he ended up getting killed. The boyfriend? No, my uncle. Oh, your uncle got killed. And he was only 19. Wait, wait he, your uncle's 19, you're... 16 so yeah. is he really an uncle to be three years apart is that he, they're, they're my cousins oh, okay. it's two brothers they're my cousin but back then they seemed so much older <laughs> and me and my sister be like he was only 19 like it's just it was just crazy because back then you had guys in the street that were doing things 
um, as far as selling drugs, they seem so much mature, so much more mature, like real businessmen. And they were, you know, doing these things. They seem so much older because it's like, okay, they look like they know what they're doing. But Jay, he was only 19. It's like, damn, my aunt lost a baby, like a teenager. Wow. And um, when he uh, passed away, I um, attached myself to his uncle. Now, he's the one who, like, I always say he's the reason why I am the woman I am, you know, him and my dad, because they were tough and they taught me to be leaders. And, you know, my uncle made me feel like a boss. So when that uncle got killed, that's when crack was coming in. And it was just, it was crazy. I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen people go crazy over a drug like that. You know, we didn't know what it was, but the money was coming in. I mean, it was just bananas. Like we couldn't get the supply out fast enough for the demand. So he had to hire more and more workers to cut up and bottle up and stuff like that. So it was crazy. So I was working, you know, with him and making, you know, money. And then I ended up meeting my daughter's father now. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Fritz. Fritz is a guy, a big drug dealer from Harlem. He was called the Consignment King. I'm sure you know what consignment is. Yeah. 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 I always say that he is the one that created bosses. Like, he could create a boss. Like, if you wanted to be a boss, he could make it happen for you. He had access to thousands of keys of cocaine. And he supplied, whether directly or indirectly, he supplied everybody from New York to Philly to wherever. And my friend was his niece. And we would go down there. We was like, yo, we gonna go down 12th Street and get some money from friends. You know, he would give us money. We could throw free bus rides and stuff like that. So one day he was like, somebody like you. And I was like, yeah, I know who it is. Cause I seen the guy in the house. So, but I didn't really like him because he dressed funny. He wasn't the usual, you know, jury and stuff like that. But I loved the way they moved because they didn't look like drug dealers. And um, we started talking and he seemed to be a nice guy. But at the time I had a boyfriend that was a little dangerous. So I was like, listen, uh-huh. <laughs> but, um, that relationship ended and you now this one started. And yeah, that's how that So you happened. were just going from drug dealer to drug dealer. Yeah, kind of, sort of. So <laughs> selling dust at 16, how much money do you make doing that? Is this big time, small time? For some people, it was big time. But for me, just starting out, just trying to get a feel of how it is. Because you could, even to date, it's amazing that people still smoke that stuff. It's like, ugh. But um, yeah, I probably made like a couple of hundred dollars, but that was good for me. You know, because I'm like, okay, just starting out. And it was quick. So, you know, but then he ended up just dying. And that stopped sure. everything? or For dust, okay. because crack came in. And okay. then we was on a roll. Was it normal for a woman to sell drugs during this time period? Yeah, because, you know, I learned that before, of course, before me, like you had some real heavy hitters as women in the 70s, like that came from 116th in, in Harlem. So there were some women doing their thing. You know, we never really hear about that yeah, stuff. Yeah, you don't. You hear about the men in that right. time period. Right. That's right. interesting that there were so many women. And did you, like, aspire to be like them once you started selling? No, because I didn't even know about them until, like, as time went on later on, and even just recent, you know, finding out different women. Because there's no uh, internet back then. Right? right, 
Right. You know, you just got maybe old pictures here and there someone would put, you know, put up. And I think that's why a lot of people gravitate to Miss T's story because it's like we never had it told from a woman's perspective, you know. But um yeah, it was definitely some women out there or or and behind a lot of those men that were getting money, there was a woman behind that that was, you know, making sh making things happen. Like holding them down and yeah. and being the business yeah. mind. Yeah. Or even connecting them to who was doing it. How are the police reacting to this new, you know, crack era and and, and what's coming in? They didn't know what it, what crack was. That's why the charges wasn't, you know, they would pick somebody up with this stuff and let them go from what I was hearing because they didn't even know what this stuff was until, you know, later on. But yeah, the they didn't they knew something was going on by the behavior and the reaction from those that were smoking. Like they were going crazy. They were stealing everything. They were selling themselves. They were, you know, you could pay a crackhead to take all your clothes off and run from this block to that block and we'll give you and they were doing it. I've never seen anything like it. And it's like when I think back about it, it's like, oh my God. And when I did the Netflix documentary, even though I knew some of that stuff, just looking at it, I'm like, oh man, the devastation that it caused. And that document, that documentary, you know, it's, it's really true. Like the government, I, always, I mean, you can't look at it no other way than the government setting that whole thing up and putting it in certain communities, you know, just for that purpose. And I just, it's just sad. And we ran with it. You know, those who sold it, drug, you know, they didn't really know, you know, they knew it was something that was bad probably, but you know, that was a way that people use to feed their families and stuff like that. Did I have to go out there? No, because I had both parents and college. I was good. But greed, that's something. So you think that was your biggest proponent? Oh, yeah. I didn't need to do that. So it was all just- I didn't need food. No. <laughs> you know, yeah. Now, do you think if your parents- grew up or, or raised you guys um, with less money, maybe in a poor status, would life have been different for you? Because maybe you already gotten a taste of like the nice stuff and that wanted you to have more. But what if you never had that taste to begin with? I probably would have did the same thing because that's what a lot of people did who didn't have anything or grew up with anything that gave them a chance to have money, pay bills, take care of their families. You know, I just don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I probably would have went. You know, I I was in it for because I was greedy and I loved money and I just wanted more and more and to be a part of this game, you know. Did you ever get tempted to try the drug? I know you didn't, but was there any temptation? When crack came out, I was like, I wonder, because I was chopping bottle and I was like, what the hell is in this thing? Now, I never even smoked a cigarette. Me and, let me tell you this. <laughs> me and my friends... We would roll up brown paper bag and act like it was a cigarette and smoke it. We did it too around the fire and stuff. We thought we were it's cool. Like, <laughs> but then I'm like looking at this little thing. It's like, yo, I wonder what is in this. And I'm glad I wasn't that curious because I wouldn't even know how to do it anyway. But I'm just so glad that I never said, you know, let me just. But I did wonder because I'm like, why are these people going crazy? Because I've seen bosses start getting high because they didn't even because you know everybody in the game they either smoked weed they probably smoked a little dust even sniffed a little cocaine it didn't do anything crack was different different 
so I've seen people who were bosses started to get high and kind of are people dying down. are people dying from it at that time period no no one's dying from it no. so it's safe in, in that essence during that time yeah. I mean you could I guess depending on how much you smoke but I didn't I don't recall anyone dying back then from it so no one was really like raising too many flags about right. it no okay. they was just going crazy over it and selling everything that they could to get it all right so you leave the baby's father to go to this new uh dealer no 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 no, uh, no. I left this guy I ended up having a baby with this one uh with the yeah. new one yeah okay so what happens next in the timeline um, Everything's good. And this is early 20s. Yeah. Okay. 21. Yeah. So, you know, we get together. Everything, life is good. You know, I'm I'm just driving around. I go shopping. I hang out with my friends. I'm, I don't, I'm just living. Yeah. And then, but it was really short because in like February of 91, he gets locked up. Supposedly for a murder that happened three years prior. It wasn't like he was hiding or running. So to this day, I'm still working on his case. He's still in prison? No, he got out in 2014. He did 23 years, and then he got deported to Barbados. That's where he's at now. Mm -hmm. But I'm still working on his case. Um, and then, now, one thing my father, because my father always, you know, he could see, okay, Miss T, you love money, you love pretty shoes and things. You know, be careful. He said, listen, he always said money is the root to all evil. He, or, I will always hear that. But I'd be like, all right, daddy, you know, yeah, you know. But Ace gets locked up in 1991. I paid $100,000. Well, the first lawyer was 25000 Fritz gave me 40000 cash to take to Mel Sachs. I don't know if you ever heard of Mel Sachs. He's a very famous lawyer. He was the lawyer for Mike Tyson. Uh, Lil' Kim, a lot of people. So we had two, you know, attorneys. Obviously, that ain't work out. <laughs> it usually never does, but. So Ace is locked up in May. I'm sorry, February. So then May comes around. Um, I get a knock. Now, I'm doing business out of my mom's apartment because I'm like six months pregnant by this time. I was real sickly. So I took over. He left everything to me to the take over. The whole drug business, everything. everything. How much is it worth, do you, would you say? I mean, it was worth a lot because, like, you know, they had, like, they were the plugs. Everybody went to them. Like, Fritz had his thing. Ace had his own thing. And, um, like, he had money out there where I could collect almost a half a million dollars a week. That's a lot of money. You're right. All cash. Yeah, all cash. Yeah. All cash. So, and then I had keys of cocaine that I was selling. So I did a lot for my mom's house. My mom didn't know. My, my dad is in Jamaica. How does your mom not know that you're my, moving bricks again? My mom's is a nurse okay. and worked doubles. She not about that life at all, what I'm doing. She just working. Now, she saw that I did buy a safe in Britain. <laughs> so you're keeping the money in the house? Now, this is how I live on Fort Washington. I have an apartment on Fort Washington Avenue. Mm -hmm. So every so often, I would take money, take it up there, but then sometimes I get lazy. I'm just in the house. But is it a safe? And you're pregnant. I'm six months pregnant. This is a wild scene. Like that you're pregnant, hustling out of your mother's house. Your, your husband or boyfriend just go to prison. And it, wow. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to be honest with you. So. <laughs> okay, I get a knock on the door in May. My brother-in-law comes. Well, I knew he was coming to get some money. Okay, get the money. Go ahead. 
only a few people knew, or Fritz told me to buy the safe. Cause being that the ace is locked up, whatever he get, he gonna split. He was like, he was like the, I mean, oh God, I probably would never meet anybody like this person, this individual and everybody who knew him and say the same thing. Anything, he already know I'm doing my own thing, but anything that he get, I'm gonna give you money, just put away for ace. That's what a real partner does. So anyway, the brother leaves. I tell you no lie. It had to be maybe less than five minutes later, I get a knock on the door. Now, I told my little sister, she was 15 at the time, to be upstairs at a certain time, you know, because she was outside hanging out. And somebody says, you know, they knock. Somebody says, Tanya, I open up the door thinking it's her. Three people with masks run down on me, two guys and a girl. Um. In a bra and panties, stomach out the hair. And I'm like, yo, I fall to the floor. So I'm swatting the guns out my face because I don't want them to go off. And he said, take me to the safe. That's when I knew I was being set up. By your brother-in-law, you think? Yeah, okay. eventually. Yeah. But you didn't know at the time. As soon as he left, I, I called my mother-in-law. I said, your son just set me up. And it's about to be over for him. <laughs> oh, for real. So I was like, I, I just couldn't believe it. So, you know, I took him to the safe and I wasn't scared. And people probably don't believe that, but I was think I, I think I was more in shock that y'all in my house disrespected me. <laughs> like, that's what I was thinking. So the girl was like, don't worry, Tanya, you're gonna be okay. Like she knew me, they had masks on, so I couldn't see anybody. She took my uh engagement ring off my finger i'm just like so I, I'm, I'm in front of the safe i'm acting as if i forgot the combination but i didn't i'm just thinking ian i'm just like because i'm still in shock like really so one guy says i'm a killer i said then you ain't getting nothing because the safe was heavy i literally had to get on my knees and push it if i needed to move it I was like, I'll be a dead rich bitch in here because y'all not getting nothing. And I and I really spoke like that because I was just like, I was just still feeling like I'm being, y'all disrespecting me right now. So the girl says, Tanya, don't worry, you're going to be okay. So he says, get on the bed and put the pillow on your head. I said, I'm not doing that. Because sometimes you have people want to know how it feels to because they watch too much television. They want to know how it feels. Nah, if, you, if it's coming, I'm going to look right at it because I'm not going to put no pillow on my head. I... So, you know, people say, I couldn't do what you did. But, you know, at some time, some point, you got to play the cards that you dealt. I said, listen, y'all could tie me up. Y'all could take all of this. Just don't hurt me and my baby. So he ripped the um, telephone wire out, tied it around. I got on the bed. The mattress that I was on, there was a little um, pearl handle 380 under it. But I wasn't going to try none because it's like them against me. Let me just see if this works. So they tied me up. They took, I had just sold two keys of cocaine to somebody that was like down with the family. Not my family, like the Fritz family, the drug family. Yeah. So it was money, it was jewelry, and the most, it was a big bag of weed that Ace had left behind or whatever. I didn't smoke it, it was, you know. And it was a book, a ledger that I kept. And that's the only thing that concerned me. Because in that ledger, I had names, uh, amounts of money they owed, what work was out in the street. So that concerned me more than anything. Because money, you could, you know, you can make money. And they left and they took it. And that was all in the safe, the book that and was everything? All, yeah, everything was there. Yep. 
Was this like your first time you've ever been in a violent act as like a drug dealer? Yeah. And what were you feeling after? Disrespected. Mm -hmm. I was just mad. I was just like, I just can't believe because I know my brother-in-law did it because it's too much of a coincidence that it happened right after he left. First of all, you didn't even do it right. But I feel like maybe he came to see who was in the apartment. And I'm so glad that my sister wasn't there because she's a fighter. She's not going out like that. She wouldn't have been calm and thinking like me. Like, you know, let me just make them feel comfortable. She's a fighter because she, you know, she fights in the streets. So, and she's very, you know, she would be very paranoid thinking that something like this won't end well. So she's going to try to fight her way out of it. And God is so good because when she came upstairs, my best friend's brother stopped her at the elevator. He never had a conversation like this with her before. I have to say that that was a higher being that stopped her there. So when they were talking, they heard the door slam, boom. They heard the, the um, they heard people running, then heard the staircase door slam. And they looked and didn't see anything. So she ended up coming to the house. And as soon as she came to the door, I opened up the door and I was like, yo, they just robbed me. Let's take the stairs. And when we got to the first floor, I saw hoodies and masks. They took everything off because we had security in the building and left it right there and walked out. So what do you do? What happens next? What's a retaliation? Okay. I dealt with um, the previous boyfriend. He had a crew uptown and my daughter's godfather was the boss. So after I told Fritz, you know, he wasn't really saying what I wanted to hear. You know, you know he was um, ill at the time and sick and you know he was saying oh the person is from in that building i'm like i don't want to hear this shit what are you talking about i know who did it but when i went to my daughter's godfather he was like listen the girl <laughs> and i don't want people to think that you know but it is what it is it was music to my ears he was like when we catch the girl we're gonna cut her fingers off because she want to take your <laughs> ring that's what i wanted to hear my brother-in-law he gonna be dead because i once i spoke to ace i'm like he's a goner because this particular crew, and I've always had people around me that were protectors and would, you know, I just had, always had people <laughs> that could do things. And that's what I wanted to hear because I'm like, anything could have happened in that apartment. They could have killed me. Like, I don't know these people you sent. And then you had one feeling like, yeah, I'm a killer and put the pill on your head. I'm like, did you think this through before you had these people come in my home? But um, to this day, I don't know the three people that came in. You never found out. Never found out. Never the got three. the money. Nothing. No, but I didn't. That didn't. I didn't care. I know who sent them. You know, my brother-in-law, and I'm like, you're gonna get it. I don't care about them because they wouldn't have came if it wasn't for you. You know, I didn't see him until twelve years later. Twelve years later, looking crazy. And maybe cracked out. I don't know. And he walked right by me. And I was like. Why 12 years? You you had just seen him that day. He went away somewhere. He never. And then my husband, my daughter's father at the time, he didn't want to believe it. But when his brother neighbor never came back to visit him in prison, he was like, it was him. Wow. He knew I wasn't lying about being set up or whatever. And, you know. It's, it's just, like my father said, money is the, like, why did you do that? Did you get mad because he left it with me? You know, you're not even built like that to do this, you know? You don't have the smarts. And everybody is not meant to be a boss. So, and you know, but 
again, I tell people that's the consequences sometimes of being, you know, in the game and, you know, doing these things. There's always a consequence. Jail, death. Some people escape it. Lucky them. But you never thought about the consequences back then. Nah. Now, did you like the power? The, like yeah. the power of being connected, knowing that if you wanted someone hurt or anything, like you could call up people, you had access. Yeah. That, that's all mm -hmm. me and my me and my sister. If we ever, all we had to do was make a phone call. That's a lot of power to have. So you double down after this. You don't get scared off by the robbery and, and say, right. I'm it, giving it up. Right. It was like, you know, no, I kind of doubled down. Because <laughs> it's <laughs> like, I'm about to have this baby. That was a scary and traumatic you know, situation, because it's like, you know, it's real. It just lets you know that what can happen. And um, I stopped for a little while, um, went back to like, what did I do? I became a, a home health aide. You started working a regular yeah, job. Yeah, yeah, I started. The How work. do you go from drug queen bed to working a regular job? Listen, because my daughter Fall was like, nah, this is not it. And he's not here to protect me. Yeah. You know, even though I had people out there, but it's like, and then, okay, that was in May, Fritz, the king, he passes away in August. So the person that took over, he just didn't, we felt he didn't do right by the family because it was me, it was a, my daughter's godmother and someone else um, just out there without no work. And I didn't have access to the Colombians and things like that because this other person took over. Had my daughter fallen out with the prison, he would have been the next one in charge. Um, so, you know, my daughter gone, mother was like, yo, I want to introduce you to somebody. So I met the guy. He was going to hit us with some coke. So I told my daughter's godfather, I said, listen, my daughter's godmother, you take over. Let him hit you, you hit me. He ends up getting killed. So we had no work again. So it was just like, okay, maybe it's just time to just chill the hell out. And that's what I did. I said, let me raise this little girl, you know what I'm saying, and um, get my life together. And yeah. Do you get your life together or, or do you go back to the drug business? <laughs> well, like later on, but um, me knowing people and being involved with certain people, that was like 91 that happened. Everything was going all right for a few years. Um, my, that old boyfriend, he had a crew and, um, in 1994, a friend of mine, 50 Cent, he was from my block. Real 50 Cent, the real 50 Cent. No, the oh. original 50 Cent is from Brooklyn. <laughs> okay. The rapper 50 Cent and my 50 Cent, they both got their names from this one. So there's multiple 50 Cents yeah, running around. But okay. the original <laughs> one died in, I think in like 87. Okay. He was the original 50 Cent. So 50, he was in prison and somebody said that he wrote, if you kind of look at them, they almost kind of resemble, he got, they named him 50 in prison after the, you know, the guy, cause he was doing the same thing that that 50 Cent was doing. Yeah. And um, he was, you know, me and him grew up together. We was in kindergarten together and he ended up having a problem with these guys from uptown. It's cool. Cause that boyfriend that I left, he had, he was tough. He was um, a gangster for real. Like, you know, like a one man army, not needing anybody, but he had a crew. And some people from that crew had a beef with 50, and they ended up basically um, killing him right in front of me. But during that shootout, I got shot. You got shot? Yeah. And how old are you? I'm 20, 
four or five at the time. Okay. Yeah. Where do you get shot? Here. In your child's Well, I got, well, it went through my back, like maybe an inch from my spine, and it came out my right, my left breast. And um, it's so crazy. I didn't feel it, but I fell on the ground. But somehow I knew I'm like, yo, I'm hit. And I'm with my cousin. She never seen nothing like that. So she's standing there like, so I was like, I got a, got in a taxi and um, took myself to Harlem Hospital. You took your own self to the hospital? Yeah, 50 late. He fell, once 50 fell in front of me, the only thoughts that went through my head was my daughter's upstairs, her father's gone, and I can't have my mother find me out here under a sheet. I just like, I just can't die like this. So I got up, jumped in a cab. A guy from my block jumped in with me. And um, of course they saved my life. 50 rolled in, they rolled him in and I basically watched them open him up, massage his heart and try to save his life and he died right there. And what, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings going on in that moment? At that moment, I was like, cause I know who did it. And I had screamed out one of the guy's names, not thinking that they would hurt me because my, my daughter's godfather was the boss of this crew. But I was nervous and I told the people don't put my name down there because I don't want people to find out my room number and stuff. You know, my father's in the emergency room, like, who did it? Who did it? Just tell me. Don't talk to the cops. Just tell me. You know, my father, he was a gangster too. But I was like, Daddy, I got this. I'm in there talking about I got something. I ain't got shit. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, Daddy, just chill, just chill. But um Yeah, are your parents concerned for you at he, this point? Or my mom, you know, she's always been a part always been a praying mother, you know. She's always very mild-mannered, you know. My dad, he like, I just wanna find out who did it. Forget why, what you was into. Cause one thing about him, when it comes to his kids, he going to bat for his kids. He, he, he'll he go to prison for his kids, he'll die for his kids. So, you know, that's when it's like, okay, chill out, <laughs> recuperate and just chill. But I didn't really do anything until late, you know, a couple of years later, I did get into the heroin game because my little brother got into it heavy and um, was doing his thing. And this was like around 98, 99. So you took like 10 years off almost. But that was about six years. Six years off. Five or six. Did yeah. you have enough money saved up to still maintain your lifestyle then? Yeah, because I, I had enough money to take care but again I still had to take care of Ace he was in prison so you're sending I, him money I paid um I paid for his appeal um I was paying investigators so you know money going down and then I had to end it up end up I had rent to pay I had two apartments I down I had three apartments I downsized one and then let one ended up letting one go I had a, the one on Fort Washington. I let my oldest sister and my nephew stay in there while I stayed with my mom. But, you know, money just going out and not really nothing coming in. So are you guys like accounting and or anything? And then, no. No accounting. And okay. then I got so many people on the street that owe money. So I'm rolling up the people. Where that money at? You know this. And, you know, they looking at me. You know, I'm young. And like, you know, and they don't, they, they, some guys didn't really like my approach, but it's like, did you not like my approach or you just don't like the fact that I'm a female trying to get my money, you know? But of course, a lot didn't pay or they had the stories. Oh, we got um, hit by the cops. And, and it's like, 
I can't, and then my crew, my old crew that I could always call, they all went, feds swept all of them up. So I didn't have them no more. Had you have kept dealing, would you have been picked up, do you think, in that sweep? It, not in that sweep, because they was doing their own thing uptown. Their thing included murder and drugs, so I ain't have nothing to do with none of that. But um, I don't know if, I'd have, if I had never got robbed, you know, and was really going, I never know what would have happened. You know, you just never know. Yeah. Because people are jealous or, you know, they just, you know, want to do it just because. As a female drug dealer, how do you, like, assert dominance and showing that you're not to be screwed with, that they can, they have to pay you? How do you do that? I've always just had that in me. I'm not, you know, again, I was raised by my father to be tough. Like, I grew up in a Jamaican household and he didn't play and I just has always had that in me, especially when it came to men. You know, I've never been disrespected by a man. I've never tolerated disrespect from a man. Um, yeah. So I just, oh, and then working with my uncle, you know, I was really the only female in that crew. Like I had a conversation with somebody recently that's locked up and he saw me on TV or something in jail. I don't know if they already watch it on the phone. And he was telling, he said, yo, I was telling people like, yo, she was the lieutenant. She was the lieutenant. I used to work for her. That's what they were saying. <laughs> yes. How does that make you feel now? Like looking back on it? I, I kind of laugh at it and it's just like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Are you ever like, wow, I can't believe that was my life at yeah. one point? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like, why did I, you know, cause I could have been a nurse 30 years in the game already if I'd have stayed my behind in school. You know, cause nursing is a passion of mine. So I'll be like, damn. But, you know, things work out the way they're supposed to work. I was able to raise my daughter. I ended up moving to Atlanta, you know, because I was like, you know, life just kind of got a little overwhelming in New York. This is late 20s you move? Yeah. Um, when did I move? I moved to Atlanta, like, this was like 2000. And I could have been in my 30s already, like 2006. And you're not selling any drugs at this point? No. Mm -mm. Because my brother ended up getting killed. Now, he was heavy with um, heroin. It was heavy. It was a lot going on. So I was able to make money with him by just connecting. Because I knew every a lot of people who sold drugs. And, you know, everybody that, that sells drugs is not a hustler. You know, you got people that, you know, hustle, know how to hustle, know how to make a, a dollar and two, you know, whatever. So I would hook him up with certain people, some of my exes or whatever, and I could just make money just off the connection. You know what I'm saying? So my brother would give me something, I would get something from them. And yeah, so I was able to do that. But then he gets killed in 2000 and that's when- That was a trigger for you? That's it. So what happens when he gets killed? How does your life change? He was having these shootouts and stuff, making a lot of money. I said, listen, you got enough money to leave and never come back, to be honest with you. And my thing was him, with him was, nah, I gotta stay cause you know, this one gotta do this. And my thing to him was, if you gotta stay here just to help somebody else hustle, then they shouldn't be in the game. They should know how to hustle and make money. And then he probably also wanted to feel like, I don't wanna look like I'm running. No, you're not running, you're just getting out the way. It must have been so hard to, like, have this conversation and then it happens. Yeah. That What were your thoughts and feelings when you found out about it? My feelings was like the streets is over for me. Like, the game, like, I've seen so many people lose their lives 
But when it happened to him, it just hit me different. It was just like, it made you think like, what was it all worth it? I mean, was it all worth it? You know what I'm saying? And it wasn't. I tell people today, the streets and that life is all a facade. You got the the, 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 the cause, the money, the jury, the men, the women. But what is it all about? Especially if you're going to lose your life for all of that. And how old was he when he passed? 27. And you were the same age? When no, I was a little older than me. Jermaine was 27. Do you think, do you, do you ever think now that if that event never happened in your life that you could very well be dead at this point too? Or in prison? Um, maybe prison. Um, yeah, maybe prison. Maybe prison. But yeah, that is like, that was crazy for me. So you stopped completely? Completely. At, I moved you to Atlanta. Never did draw, sold drugs since then? No. Just because of that moment? Yep. Wow. So you went all your whole life you've known to be around like drugs and everything and just that that incident is the wake-up call where it's like I, this is it yeah because i literally like you know how people say there's a thin line between losing your sanity and just that there i've never felt anything like that before like i i was just feeling funny i felt like i could literally lose my mind and he, that was 2000 and i was still going through it around 2004 or 5 I just couldn't like my mind so I said let me move and I moved to Atlanta um my brother had some it was some people in the street I'll say this and um my ex called me and said T some guy somebody was talking about hurting me or doing something to me he said now they respected him highly even though he was away they was his respect ran deep and long he was like, you just need to get out the way because I can't, even though I tell them they better not touch you, I'm not there. So that's what made me leave New York too. I said, let me just get out the way because this talk of hurting me because I was still mad about what happened to my brother. And I was in the street talking shit, <laughs> you know, giving people a hard time. So I ended up moving and that was probably the best thing that I could have done. Did you miss the money and the power when you did move and get out of the game? Not really. Not really. Not really. I was just happy to be alive, um, get my daughter out the way, get my daughter out the way, and um, that's it. I, I didn't even think about that because with him gone, I mm -mm. with him gone, I didn't want nothing to do with none of that. Did you ever watch the TV show Power at all? You, I love Power. We watched it in prison all the time. And, you know, in the ghost season where Lorenzo is in prison and Monet is running the streets. Oh, okay. Was that kind of like the dynamic when you, when your boyfriend was in prison and you're out there running, like, the, the, the empire or whatever he left you? Was was that the dynamic? It was it's so crazy because Eve Rivera, you know, me and him was good friends. He's 50 cents. Like, they're like brothers. I don't know if you know Eve, he do a lot of music videos, but he also produced um, the power that Mary is in. But he used to always say, like, you're the real Tasha St. Patrick. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> he said, you're the real Tasha St. Patrick. He was like, yo, we got to do something with you. We got to do something with you. And it's so crazy. Somebody hit me on YouTube. They was like, Miss T, you should have played that role. Miss T, you should have. They think I should have played the role of Kanan's mom. 
Okay, I could see that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But like, I could see you as Mon- Monet, too. I think you would have killed it at Monet. People always say that, but yeah. So how do people find out about your story, then? If, 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 if it never ended, like, in a bad way for you on a personal level, how did people start to find out about it? Because in 20... Well, no, in 2006 and seven, I started to write my book. And um, I called Jermaine's mom. Because me and Jermaine, we wasn't blood. But I knew him from the age of 15 up until he died. He was my sister's boyfriend when they were young. But we were like this. We were family. So I called her and I said, listen, I'm writing this book. She said, T, do whatever you got to do. I know you love my son. Because it's, it's, it's amazing how therapeutic that when everything is here, just by putting it on some paper or typing in a computer, like it just feels like it's there. It's not here anymore. You know, you're just getting it out. So I ended up writing a book. I didn't publish it until... 10 years later, 2015, and people read my book, and then I have a YouTube documentary that I did in 2019, and it's like over 3 million views, because I have it on two pages, but one page in particular is like 2.7 million views, and it just went crazy from there. That's how the people from Netflix who did the documentary found out about me. They ordered the book, they read it, and they was like, wow. Like, Why do you think you had to write the book? Um, therapy. And also, like in the introduction of the book, I got a copy, I'll show you. Um, I state that I need people to understand that that street life ain't what y'all thought it was. You know, like I said, them cars, the the, the jury, the women, the men. But behind the scenes, we getting tied up and robbed. We getting killed. You know, families are being destroyed. So I needed them to, I needed people to understand that it's more to life than that. Like that shouldn't even be a part of our lives. It's just unfortunate that in the urban communities, we gravitate to that because we see the money and we see how much money we can get from it. But what does it mean if you got a whole lot of money in a safe somewhere, but you did? You know, somebody's killing you over it. It's not worth it. Were you ever worried about like the legal ramifications of telling your story? Because you avoided prison or an indictment or anything were you ever worried about that not really because in in my book I was able to use real names and I reached out to everybody that was I wrote the ones that was locked up in the feds and they showed they was like t do what you got to do or they would be like black go ahead do it and I was so happy that they gave me their permission to do it because you know, the authenticity of my story and what I put in there, and because I was able to use these names, people like, damn, like, she for real. Like, 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 she a G, like, you know what I'm saying? And the people that's in the book are real and very well respected. So I think that's what gets it. And even my documentary, I had one girl, she was like, girl, I watched that every week, like, law and order. <laughs> I was like, what? Now, there was, did you, like, consult a, a lawyer about, like, possibly getting arrested about any of this? Or was the statute? So you, right, because I kind of already thought the statute of limitations, I sold drugs, I ain't killed nobody. Yeah. And then now, had my brother-in-law, had I did, you know, have him killed, I would have probably rethought writing that part or even putting that in there. But I said, look, you know, look, look at how it worked out. I see him 12 years later, he's... I could curse on here. Yeah, of course. <laughs> fucked up. You fucked up. You don't have no money. You did all that for what? When I could have looked out for you or we could have made something happen. But you did all that for what? 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I, I looked at, I got more gratification at seeing him like that than killing him. You know, and I'm glad I did because I don't have that on my conscience, you know. Well, you'd also probably be in prison now to this day yeah, if it, usually they get found <laughs> out about and they're convicted. And right, right. So that that's good. At least you wouldn't be here at the interview. Right, with Ian. <laughs> <laughs> now, you were donned like a, a pretty, you know, well-known nickname for this this whole time period or for your story. What is that nickname and how did you get it and first find out about it? Oh, what, Harlem Heroin? Yeah, oh. yeah, that's a great name. Uh, yeah. well, but they put in like parentheses, like so it's like heroin a little right, bit. Yeah. Right, Well, me and my editor came up with, no, my editor came up with that because it was Lady Heron. Now, Lady Heron came from, I was out in Harlem, and these guys from Queens was up in Harlem hanging out. And, you know, they was looking at me. You know, I had a, a long white fur coat on, jewelry, and they was like, you know, what you do for a living? So I ain't do nothing. They was like, yo, this lady heroin. So they they called me that. And they to this day they called me that. And I met them like in the 90s. And I said, wow, look how things happen. So Lady Heron was the name of the book. But then my editor was like, nah, your story is about Harlem. It's gonna be Harlem Heron. My love affair with street life and the men who ruled it. So he came up with that whole thing. So now people call me. Harlem Heron. If it missed T, Harlem Heron. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. So let's talk Netflix now. You publish your book. You do this documentary on YouTube. Netflix reaches out. What's that whole process? What did, what happened? Yeah, they um they reached out um maybe around 2017 or 18. They reached out. They said that um we read your book. We saw your documentary. We're going to order the book so we could just read more. You know, because there's always more stuff in a book than it is, you know. So they did that. And then in 2019, they called me back. It was another producer because the other one left. So I guess the notes or something was still there because I forgot all about that I got the phone call. And um, I taped in 2019. And um, it was a good experience. So they told me who, you know, who the other people, Freeway Ricky Ross was on, is on it. Um, and some other people. So I was like, okay, so we taped in 2019, but then COVID hit. And I was like, when is it coming out? When is it coming out? So I could tell people, you know, I want to see myself. So then in January of 2021, that's when it was, um, it aired on Netflix. And what happened once it aired? And I was really cool. A lot of people watched it, you know, more notoriety. I had, I still have people like this guy from a barbershop. He was like, yo, me and my mother just watched you last night. So, you know, it was real cool. Sometimes I, you know, I'm, I still have this humble thing, you know. And, you know, one day, you know, me and my sister and my niece we was walking the street and people were like, yo, sis, what's up? I'll watch you. My sister was like, you know what? You're kind of a big deal. You know, you're kind of a big deal right now. I was like, okay, cool. But I guess people, you know, I guess because, you know, I don't, I don't brag about it because there's nothing to brag about. And, you know, just being real in my authentic self, you know, I get emotional like I did just now when it comes to certain things. And, you know, I've been living with PTSD and uh, anxiety for the past 30 years, you know. So, but, you know, it's something that I live with and I understand that I put myself in these situations and that's what happened. How do you cope with those mental struggles, the anxiety, the PTSD? Yeah, well, I'm in therapy. I start, started therapy, you know, recently. But I've tried to deal with it without taking medication. Like early on... I had a situation like this was like back in 94, 95. When I was falling asleep, I thought 
to me, that was death coming for me. So I was like so deprived of sleep because I wouldn't sleep. So they put me on Valium and stuff like that. And I was like, I don't want to take that stuff. I just deal with it. I just deal with it in my own way and try to just get over. I, I know why, you know, why it is. So I just deal with it in different ways. Now, you're a tough woman. Like, you could tell you give off that, you know, aroma or feeling. Why did you decide to finally go to therapy? Because I feel like certain people with your personality are like, you know, fuck therapy yeah. or I'm not going to that shit or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Why do you decide to give in? Because it's just good to just get it out and talk to somebody who is unbiased. Like, they don't know me. There's no reason to judge me. But I just feel like, you know, it's okay to talk to someone and just get it out and, and have a professional figure out um, ways for me to cope with certain things. You know, because there was a time some years ago, I would get up in the middle of the night, it was like clockwork. I would get up, I would look at my window, then I would look at my door. For some reason, I'm thinking, is somebody coming in? Can they get in? I know they can't because I got like a big gate. I always had gates on my windows and stuff like that. But it was just a thing. And I'm like, why do I do that? And it's like like clockwork, like two, three in the morning, I'm looking, making sure nobody's trying to come into my house. And that's another thing I was going through. I was like, damn. So, But recently I said, you know what? Let me just sit down and talk your stuff out. Because, you know, when I think about my brother, I cry all the time. Or when I have to talk about him or 50, because those two situations was like, I watched 50, you know, get killed. You know, my brother, that was like my everything. So, you know, I just feel like, you know, ain't nothing wrong with it. It's not going to hurt. You know, it's not going to hurt for me to, you know, get therapy and just talk to somebody. That's great. What does your daughter think about all of this? And what's your relationship with her? My daughter knows everything. Okay. We are very close. Um, she knows what me and her father did. She knows the things that I've been through. And, you know, she's like, she, she's, she's one of my best friends. Like, my daughter's my best friend. That's awesome. And she just like, you know, she's like, you know, mom, you good? She know, you know her mother good. Then, you know, all her friends like, yo, I seen your mother on TV. So she like, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, she be hype about that. But it's like, you know, it's cool, you know. Do you see any similar personalities that you have in her? And if so, are you worried that it could evolve into the path that you chose? No, my daughter's tough. She's definitely tough like me. She's a hustler, but she's smart. My daughter, she got a four-year degree um, and information technology she makes great money so the life that you wanted for you yes. she was able to get yes because like i said earlier my dad was big on education so i kind of already knew before my daughter was born what school she was going to she was never going to public school it was either going to be private or catholic but when we moved to atlanta she was at one of the top high school public schools in um in walton county where we was at so Everything that I wanted for her, yeah, as far as education-wise and not going the path that I went, I wanted her to, you know, so it worked out well. Like, Atlanta, moving in was good. Did she have a relationship with her father now? Yeah, she had one when, she, when he was locked up because her grandmother would take her on trailer visits, so she would spend weekends with her dad. You know, I always sent him report cards and certain things just to keep him involved. You know, I wanted him to still feel that you know because he was in jail for a murder he didn't do you know and are you guys together did you guys get back together when he got out no but we're good friends like that's my guy like we just visited him in barbados back in may so you know if he need anything he got it 
he asked me for anything he could get it you know so he's doing pretty old. he he's, he's hustling over there but he's hustling chickens and pigs <laughs> hustling chickens now with someone with like a past like yours and, and a netflix documentary is it hard to date and be around get close to people um kind of sort of because you know they come at you you know a lot of people want to ride the wave come yeah, out but you know i'm just like let me just mm. And then I just did um, American Gangsta Trap Queens on BET. It mm -hmm. comes on this Tuesday, actually, at 10. Oh, that's awesome. So y'all watch that. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, people come, you know, they be all in the social media talking. He was like, damn, you don't look like what you've been through. You know, you still look good, Miss T. I'm like, well, thank you. Well, what do they expect <laughs> you to look like all battered up? Right, you know? no teeth. <laughs> well, you never did drugs, so right. I guess people just associate drug dealer with a drug addict and, and things like that. I mean, I've seen people that are totally that that'll come in here and they totally don't fit the description of the things they've done. Right. Uh, right. But you're well spoken, well put together. So uh, you know, you just never know with individuals. And people like I tell people too, like I, I you know, I, I talk to parents a lot. They reach out to me. I know one guy. He said that um, he makes his son watch my documentary to deter him from going that way, because they, you know, the documentary is like, damn. You know, a lot went on in there. You know, a lot went on in my life. Like, you know, I almost escaped death a number of times. I'll say that. But um, people also think that, you know, because I lived that life, I came from a broken home. And it's like, no. Nah. But the thing is, and I tell parents, as long as you instill good morals and ethics and, you know, education, we, although we may stray away we remember that it has to be taught for it to be remembered so you know my father always you know he's always in my ear always you know he always been one of those if we have friends over and they leave I mean I like our should talk too much talk less listen more he was always one of those ear hustling like yeah <laughs> you know so he always left me with a lot of good jewels when it came to certain things so yeah you know people think that when you get into a certain type of lifestyle you came from a broken home and it's like nah i'm far from that yeah far from it were there a lot of celebrities that reached out to you after the documentary um there was some there was some and um i'm actually talking to some people right now but you know everybody want to do the movie but they make a good movie it would but it's not the money for me the quality has to be right, and um, I'm finally getting my screenplay written right now. I waited this long, but, you know, timing is everything. And, again, it's not the money for me. It has to be done right because you only get one chance to kind of do it right when it comes to something like that. And I just don't want nobody – I just don't want to put nothing, no bullshit out. I can't do that. It'll stay a book forever yeah. before I do that. So, yeah. So do you live solely off of, like, the life you've created now through, like, the book and whatever you do? Or do you have a job now? or how does No, that work? I'm not working right now. I mean, I work for myself. The book is still doing good. Um, I have five books out. The book is still doing good. Um, and you start, I'm guessing you started the publishing company because of the books? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so I publish all my books. Um, I've helped some other people publish books. And I'm just... I have a, like an online boutique. I just bought a food truck. Oh, you bought what kind of food truck? Uh, I had it built in Miami, and they shipped it up here like two weeks ago. It's called TNTs. Oh, that's great. <laughs> what kind of food? We're gonna. It's gonna be American, Caribbean, um, 
soul food, but it's ten things food for the soul, not just soul food. Mm-hmm. So you know, eventually I'll add to the menu. So yeah, that'll be hopefully. I think I'm doing a soft opening on Monday. Okay, that's very exciting. Is it hard to be living back in the city? after leaving that whole area where you grew up and whatnot? Not really. And I'm only in the city because my mom is here. You know, or I'll be, because I'm still between Atlanta. You know, my daughter been there 16 years. She never came back. Mm-hmm. And I'm still back and forth. But, um, you know, as long as mom is here, because that's my, you know, that's my rock. That's my baby. So, you know, I got to make sure she good. But, you know, she's, my mom is good, you know, health-wise and everything like that. Is she proud of the woman you've become? Yeah, she was like, okay, Tanya doing, you know, she always be looking at me like, what you doing now, Tanya? Because my mother mad country. What Tanya doing now? What she getting into? <laughs> I laugh at it because it's like, I ain't doing it. I'm trying to, I know I'm doing good stuff now. I'm doing good stuff. You know, I help people. I gave out college scholarships last year um, to students that was in um, nursing school or um, becoming an attorney. One of my students uh, graduated in May. So, you know, I, I try to give back in some way, shape, or form because God has blessed me over and over. So I can't do nothing but try to do good things. Yeah. What do you say to like people that will maybe say comments about like profiting off of your past crimes? What's your message to those people? I mean, like, shut the fuck up. Like, real talk. <laughs> like, shut up. <laughs> like, you don't even know what I'm doing. I mean, it is what it is. Why not? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But like, you know, in my book, it ain't really a profit. It's a, I, I, I wrote the book not even thinking about making money. I was like, I got to get this out. I never even thought how big it would have gotten. You know what I'm saying? Netflix, BET, you know, interviews with Ian. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That never crossed my mind. I was like, I got to tell people like, yo, the game is bullshit. It ain't no cold. You know, I want to speak on that real quick. You know, people talk about this code and snitching and that. There is no code. It never was. Because if there was a code for anything, my brother wouldn't have set me up. If there was a code for anything, nobody would be running up in nobody's house killing somebody's mama for money. They always talk about the code for snitching, but what about the code for murder? You understand what I'm saying? So I hate to hear, it seems like the only people that talk about a code is the ones that got caught and told on. Then they create all these rules. Right. It like in no prison. Because I want to know the author. <laughs> Yeah. Where that book at? Yeah, no, you get to prison and they and they create all these rules. And these are all coming from guys that are in prison. Right. That's when no they code. create it. You know, they get mad at me all the time on YouTube. I don't give a fuck. Because <laughs> it's not one. Don't try to create something that's not there. At the end of the day, there's a level of expectation. You would expect that my man won't tell on me. You would expect that my brother-in-law won't set me up. Or you would expect that nobody would be that jealous of me to send somebody in my home. There's just a level of expectation. There is no code. Yeah. Now, if you could go back to your 16-year-old self before maybe you even started selling drugs, what would you say to her? I would say to her, if you if your plan is to uh, go to college, get some type of degree or my nursing degree, I would stay the course on that. Because I have everything. I have my mother. I have my father. Um, my mother cooked six days a week. I, we never went without food. You know, I would say that. Like, you got a good girl. Get your ass off 23rd Street and <laughs> go back uptown. That's what I would say to her. Yeah. And what's your message now? Like, what do you want people to take away from this interview? Um, That, you know, those of us that get into these situations, we're not all bad people. We didn't all come from broken families or anything like that. We are just sometimes good people that 
do bad things or get into situations. But I would say that um, take my life and and, and my story, you know, and show your kids, you know, or yourself and be like, listen, that's not it. Because I have people, I had a guy reach out to me. He said, Miss T, I live in Baltimore. I just bought a three-bedroom house. He's like, but, you know, shit is rough. He said, and I think about going out in the street, but your story humbles me. Oh, that make me feel so good. For You know, men, they, they look at my story like, damn, as a reference to not do this or not do that. You know what I'm saying? So that makes me feel good. If I always say if God or the whatever higher power put me through everything that I went through for that sole purpose to write that book, do that documentary, and put my story out, then it was all worth it. You know, you know, my brother, if my brother had not got killed, none of this would be going on. There would be probably no book. But that is what broke me. To inspire change. Do you reflect back on at all about like how you made it through that life, like unscathed in a way, maybe not emotionally, right. but physically all you're you're here, you're present, you have your freedom. That's got to drive you and keep you going. I'm reminded every day about it, you know, because of, you know, it's always in my face, whether it's TV or, you know, via social media or somebody coming up to me or even the scars, you know what I'm saying? So I'm always reminded, I'm always thankful and grateful that, you know, so many people didn't make it out. And I know a lot of people who didn't, like I lost a lot of people and it's like, damn. And that's another thing that I tell people like, was it all worth it? You know, like, mm-mm. Nah, I lost too many people. Like, people be like, damn, it's crazy that you just got your your, your mind that you're sane after all the stuff that you've been through. And, like, 91 was one of the worst years, 91 and 92, because I lost so many people. I got robbed. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, damn. It makes you think. And I'm thankful for the small stuff, waking up, you know, having my, you know, all my faculties and everything like that. It's like people pray for the wrong shit sometimes, you know? I'm happy for the small stuff. Yeah, sometimes it's just as simple as like having peace within yourself, oh, having wow. yourself waking up another day because a lot of people don't get that. Not at all. Like I'll, I'll read articles about friends or people I knew that passed away that I went to high school with and it makes you think. Yeah. Or people that get locked up or anything like that. You read the stories about the 17-year-old kid that gets in a DUI and his life's changed forever. It's just yep. like those one moments that affect our lives forever. Absolutely. And that's like the most important aspects to it. And you just got to watch what other people are doing and, yep. and, and all that. Yeah. Where can people find you at? Um, If you Google Miss T, everything pops up. <laughs> M-S-T-E-E or on YouTube or on Google. But um, I'm on Instagram, Harlem Heron, all one word. I have been hacked three times. So... It's always a variation of Harlem Heron. <laughs> yeah, right, well, we'll put With it in e. the we'll put in the bio yeah, for you too. Harlem Heron, um, us on Facebook, Instagram, and yeah, and they could follow my food truck page. I'm gonna start uploading is <laughs> at t underscore n underscore teens. But yeah, that's where I'm at. That's awesome. Well, yeah. Miss T, thank you so much yeah. for coming. Thanks for the conversation. Thank it's been a great you. time, and you know, looking forward to seeing you. Uh, become even more successful and trying the food truck. We'll have to come out and check it out. Right. And my website is www.she'smisstea.com if they just want to look at my books and order. So, yeah. Sounds good. <laughs>
Thank you. Thank you.